0: The Koi Gig pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City Girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in. And I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave Magnificent moves Now we want to turn our attention to uh, one of the stories of the football season so far um, on and off the field obviously it's uh, Newcastle and I'm delighted to say Craig Hope is back with us Craig good morning to you how are you getting on? Morning guys, very good, very good. We were doing a bit about uh, Chelsea earlier on and you know the situation they find themselves in and the the little blip that uh, Potter's going through at the moment and then was looking forward to the next fixture and of course, well, lo and behold, it's uh, St. James's Park which in previous seasons maybe Chelsea would have chalked down as an automatic three points but not anymore. Suddenly, the trip to St. James's Park is pretty grim for everybody else.
1: Yeah, well, for a lot of years Newcastle were the Samaritans of Premier League football. You know, in need of a win, in need of a pick me up. You know, Diallo one nine one for for Tyneside, and uh, the teams wouldn't very become here, and Newcastle had this incredible run. Of, uh, of breaking teams uh, losing sequences uh, in, in the wrong way of course not anymore you know 2022 Newcastle have only lost once at St James's Park and that was to Liverpool they've only lost once this season uh, in all competitions and that again was to Liverpool and only in the 98th minute so it is an entirely different prospect up here now and and Chelsea really couldn't probably wish to be coming to a worse place, especially giving, you know, it is the it, it, it's the last game before they send off Newcastle into the World Cup break. Uh, it's a tea time kickoff that gives the Geordies an extra two and a half hours to get some ale inside them inside the town. St James's will be absolutely bouncing. There always is that extra little bit of uh little bit of zip and bit of zest under the under the lights as well. And you know, for once, as a journalist covering the North East here, you're going to the home games, fully expecting Newcastle United to win. And i will be very surprised if they didn't beat Chelsea again on Saturday night.
0: What is... What is it that makes Eddie Howe a good manager? What are, what are the characteristics that you've seen so far, apart from like being good in the transfer market? And, and you know that's obviously a, a committee decision, or not, not just not just him. Obviously, he's got a, a voice in it, but like the, the bits that have made Almiron good at mm. the level that he's playing at. Like, what, what is Howe good at?
1: If I was going to list his qualities, I would say he, he is honest, he's intelligent, and he's extremely hardworking. Now, if you put those three things together, I think the modern player and and supporter also will buy into you. And Eddie has got an awful lot of goodwill up here, be that from within the dressing room or be that on the terraces. Uh, He just, from the minute he walked in, he was believable. And I, I sit here as a journalist. How many times have I been on your show? Whenever I come on here... It's invariably to to talk about a manager who have fallen out with or a manager that that I don't necessarily rate. I can honestly say this guy is the real deal. He absolutely is top draw. When he came into the club, there was people probably from beyond Tyneside, even on Tyneside, who were saying, you know, this is the equivalent of Manchester City's Mark Hughes, the guy who will take them so far before they go out and get a, 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 a Pochettino, a Mourinho, a Guardiola, whatever you want to call it. They don't have to. Newcastle have hit with their... Sorry, the new owners have hit upon with their very first managerial appointment. They've hit upon a guy who can take them all the way. He is absolutely obsessed with improvement and with betterment. And the biggest compliment I can pay him is the fact that this team, which is playing regularly, week in, week out, six of the 10 starters were already at the club pre-takeover. Six of the 10 starters were players who, supporters of Steve Bruce and, you know... Put down as championship players. Put down as not being good enough. Put down as being the reason the Cast Knight are in a relegation zone. They weren't the problem. Everything else around them was the problem. Eddie Howe has come in and he's taken a lot of those same players. Miguel Almiron, the most informed player in the Premier League. Joe Linton transformed. Fabian Shaw looking like a world-class centre-half all of a sudden. Couldn't get a game previously. He's taken those players... And he, he's improved them day on day. He's given them confidence, belief, you know, tactical improvement, technical, technical improvement. He improves players as both footballers and as people. And that is, as I said before, the biggest compliment I can pay him. And it's the reason Newcastle are where they are.
2: Will, anyhow, uh, will Craig, be someone who puts more emphasis on a top four finish or winning cups? Because... Scrape past Palace last night on penalties in the in the League Cup and I think there was a bit of a moment of brevity in one of the press conferences during the week where journalists pointed out that the, the Ferris Cup before the Apollo eleven moon landing in nineteen sixty nine was their last trophy as a club. So I mean Newcastle fans will want trophies and want them fairly soon.
1: How ironic though, you, you know, previously Newcastle used to rotate in the cup to safeguard against the Premier League status. We were there last night before the game scene, you know, you can understand if they rotate to protect their Champions League ambitions what a turnaround in a year the fact that we're we're having those conversations but you know Eddie Eddie wants to win a cup you know and especially there was a moment last night as the uh, as the teams were preparing to take penalties and the scores flashed up on the big board and I asked this of Eddie afterwards it revealed that Tottenham Arsenal and Chelsea had all gone out of the competition suddenly the outcome of that penalty shootout you know the, the, the significance of it w- was amplified somewhat Newcastle have got a really good chance now you, you, there's only Manchester City and Liverpool left in as teams you would probably want to avoid in the in the round of 16 in the, round of 16, the quarterfinals. finals and there's, there's such a good feel good factor up here at the moment there's so much momentum that I think Eddie realises in a season without European football you know why not try and use that to propel you into the latter stages of the cup competition and he, he really did laugh this week when he was reminded that 35 days after Knight had last won a trophy Neil Armstrong walked on the moon so uh, yeah Newcastle are, are, are reaching for the stars this season uh, be that you know, a Champions League finish or progress in the League Cup or the FA Cup and I've got no reason to doubt them or, or, or dissuade them from doing that
0: So is the break coming at a good time or a bad time because it's going to interrupt this momentum
1: If we're being honest bad time it's got to be you know what team who has won seven of the last eight matches and is in the the, the vein of form Newcastle are in. What team can say it, it, it's a good thing to have a break? On the flip side of that... Newcastle haven't got too many players going to the World Cup, so it's a, it's a five six week period for Eddie Howe to, to work with his team. You know, tactics, shape, confidence, technical aspects, everything I spoke about earlier. And if you wanted any manager in the country exposed to his players for a prolonged period of time, right now it would probably be Eddie Howe. You know, so good is he, and such an influence, and such a difference does he make on the on the training pitch. They're going to go to Saudi during the, uh, the international break for a, for a week or so. And if you remember, the last time they went to Saudi was back in January the return from that to win five of six games and propel them to the to the middle of the table so there's always a positive to be had when, when Eddie Howe is manager and I think Newcastle have, have got to really try and seize that
0: You tweeted last night I think about the um, extra investments that the owners have made into the club it's an extra 70 million I'm not really sure how that works is it um, do they buy shares in it or do they buy from somebody else or do they like issue share capital extra is this kind of a way of skirting the financial fair play rules or is it just kind of how football works? Mm-hmm.
1: It's just a capital investment, and that money will only be uh, taken into account with regards financial fair. Sorry, that money will not be taken into account with regards financial fair play if it is spent on things like infrastructural costs. Now, at the moment, Newcastle are spending a lot of money on upgrading the, the training ground that wasn't really fit for purpose. Uh, so, you know, the, the the bulk of that, I imagine, will go with the day to day running costs of the club. But of course, they've also got one eye on January in it. It's going to be really interesting going into January because all the noise coming out of the club at the moment are that they probably, they probably won't spend big. They're, they're happy with what they've got. They are restricted by FFP. But they're going to January in third or fourth position, as is looking likely. They might just have a decision to make. And if someone like a James Madison might be available, in actual fact, I don't think he probably will be. I don't think Leicester can afford to sell him for where they are in the league right now. But if that calibre of player did become available at the right price... They can act, and I think they might just, if they look at it and think, you know, this could be the little bit of stardust we need to keep us in those Champions League places.
2: If there's if there's a man who epitomizes the the turnaround of, of, of Newcastle uh Craig, it's probably Miguel Almiron, and I know you wrote a piece on him earlier in the week. Um so he went from a laughing stock, as you said, to a goal machine and uh, it kind of became a, a figure of uh, comic relief for Jack Grealish and others uh, with his performances, and and yet now you look at this guy, and what was he? Twenty one million pounds from the MLS a few years mm-hmm. ago. All of a sudden, he is. He epitomises all that Eddie Howe is about.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, I will clarify. I didn't use the word laughing stock and copy. Laughing stock <laughs> was on the on the headlines, so I have to, to in part take ownership of it. But I wouldn't have called him a laughing stock. He was more now. <laughs> So, when Jack Grealish made the comment playing like Almiron to poke fund his teammate Riyad Morris at the, at the end of last season, listen, it was crass and it was needless, but you did kind of know what he meant. You know, Miguel Almiron had almost become a byword for, for aimless endeavour, someone who ran around but didn't really have that, that end product. And I think all Newcastle supporters and observers, uh, journalists up here like myself, would agree with that. Yet what we've seen this season is the, the untapping of the, the potential that was probably always there. Miguel Almiron is a player who needs direction, he needs instruction, he needs a good coach. Now for a period he had that with Rafa Benitez and you know he, he did play well but under Steve Bruce that just went totally awry. Miguel Almiron was lost at times he was playing central midfield and he looked like a player who was headed out of the club. Eddie Howe, as you touched on there, is you know there are two huge success stories in terms of players who uh, we will probably head it out with Newcastle Joe Linton and Miguel Almiron and right now what is it seven goals in seven games while Jack Grealish sits on the bench for, for Manchester City so it's certainly uh, Miguel who, who was having the last laugh at the moment uh,
0: The investments, the trip to Saudi, the Saudi under nineteen under twenty team coming to play, the links to Saudi Arabia are obviously strengthening as opposed to like anything else that maybe people might have thought, but it doesn't make sense for the links links to do anything other than strengthen. That's kind of the whole point of the Saudi Investment Fund getting involved here. While the team is riding high like this, I suppose it's difficult for any of the Newcastle fans to really complain too much or is there what's that relationship like at the moment between the fans and the owners and the project and the point of the project
1: well it, it, it's strong it's incredibly strong there's, there's nothing but praise for the owners and I, I guess you're, 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 you're hinting towards other, other concerns over the, 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 the identity of the ownership and human rights and everything we've spoken about this on this show with you now And I have to be perfectly honest, I think I gave the same answer the last time. I don't speak on behalf of Newcastle supporters. I'm a journalist up here, but I think I've got a good handle on what they think and what they feel. And they have been able to the same way as Eddie Howe has been able to the same way as the players have been able to they've been able to separate football from politics and they're looking at this in the isolation as a, of a of a football story and when you look at that you know we've just spent 5 minutes talking about how how good the atmosphere is how good a manager Eddie Howe is the transformation in players and in all of those sort of positives now that is what supporters are, are, are focusing on and that is what they're enjoying that is what the champion they're enjoying going to the football match in St James's is really is a, a special place to to watch football and to, to cover football and, and to play football right now and there really is that, that, that feel good factor back in the city and the other issues are there. <clears throat> they do exist. It is a conversation we need to have. It is something we have pressed Eddie Howe on several times and you know, even myself as a journalist in the city that Every time I write a match report, every time I go to a press conference, I can't address the other issues. Does that mean we're denying them? No, they exist, and when the time is right, we, we, you know, we, we do vigorously pursue them. I want to go to Saudi next month with Newcastle. That not necessarily an easy thing to do, but you know, I want to go. Then I want to ask these questions. I want to have an audience with the guys from from PIF. So don't think these questions aren't being asked, and, and, and these issues aren't being covered. But as I said we've just spent five minutes talking about the football so there is another story to tell and you know we, we, we've we got to do that as journalists up here especially as it is emerging as a, a quite incredible football story as well.
2: It's a young population in Saudi Arabia as well Craig and I think that's something that Newcastle maybe are looking to tap into with, with talk of all these commercial deals as well.
1: There is yeah and we sat down with Darren Eales last month for the first time the chief executive in a, in a box at St James's Park and we had a chat with him and he didn't deny the Saudi presence. He didn't try to to dodge it. If anything, he embraced it. He said, "You know, yes, the Saudis are the majority owners of the football club. We will look to exp- exploit—probably the wrong word—but you know, we will look to take advantage of that that relationship and PIF's con- connections throughout the world, and in Saudi." To bring in commercial partners, increase revenue, find a way around FFP, not by cheating it, by, by legitimately bringing in extra commercial revenue, extra monies into the club, so they can invest more in the playing squad and take the club and the team to, to, to where they want to be. That, that, that's fairly obvious, and they didn't try and shy away from that, and I fully expect within the next few months for commercial deals, be it a stadium sponsorship or a shared sponsorship, to be announced with, with Saudi partners and for those deals probably to be, to be fairly lucrative too.
0: The the transfer window, this window, will be very illustrative. If if those deals are coming down the tracks, you can probably find a way to uh, make them work, make big transfers work if you wanted to with uh, financial fair play, given that it's a new financial year, obviously, as soon as December 31st, midnight kicks in. So while. I mean, if I was in charge of a club, I would be saying, "Oh, we're not spending any money," and then I would do my deal in the side of Liverpool, who would never spend any money, never, ever, ever. And then they' buy players for 70 million You're like, "Well, I thought you weren't going to sign anybody," as opposed to Man United, who get pressured into massively overpaying for all of their players. So it does seem like the, the, the um, intelligence of how to do those deals um, slightly off-Broadway is baked into the club at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, which club would brief that they were going to spend a load of money going into a transfer window? It, it, you know, the last two, win- Newcastle have had two windows now with new owners and every time it's been, you know, a limited budget conservative spend in, in they've emerged, they've spent £200 million. Now, isn't what I will say is, as much as it's a lot of money, you know, £200 million in very generally doesn't buy you a team that goes from the bottom of the table into the, into the top four. They've got to be given credit for, A, spending the money they have spent very well, in B, as I touched on earlier, improving the players who were already at the at the squad, it's a, it's a it's a combination of the two is to the reason why Newcastle enjoyed this incredible turnaround. But what will they do in January? Will you touched on the FFP there? You know, new financial year it doesn't doesn't quite work like that. It it's, uh, it's calculated over a three-year period and Newcastle are at the almost the the very limit of that FFP expenditure at the moment. Could they go again in January and speculate to accumulate, you know, front load that spending with a view to bringing in bigger, more lucrative sponsors down the line? Well, yes, they could and if the right deal is there, they, they perhaps will act but the message at the moment as it was the previous two windows. And we know what happened. The message at the moment is they're probably not going to spend big in January.
0: I have one last uh, wildcard theory for you here, right? Um, let's say the World Cup goes really badly or really well from an England perspective and Garrett Southgate decides, OK, I've had enough. So if he wins it, I'm riding off into the sunset. Mm. Uh, if he goes out in the uh, first round, it's like, well, OK, my time here has come to an end. The obvious candidate at that stage mm. for the England job would be Eddie Howe. Is there a world yeah, it, in which that happens?
1: Yeah, it would be, absolutely, but uh, it won't happen. You know, I can 99.9% sit here now and say, even if the FA came and, and asked Eddie Howe to be England manager, which I think they, they probably should if, uh, if Gareth does go, he would say, no, the England job will always be the England job. The England job will be the England job in five years' time, 10 years' time. Eddie still a relatively young man, he's only 44. The Newcastle job at this moment in time is unique. It's once in a lifetime. It's the most exciting project in world football. You don't leave the Newcastle job as it is now to go and take over England. That might sound like a crazy thing to hear. I don't know. But it's the truth. And that is how Eddie's thinking at the moment. There's no way he would leave Newcastle for any job in the world right now. I can, I can confidently say that. I, I, I really can know him and, and speaking to him about this in recent months. So, so yeah, while it is a, a, a very plausible, likely scenario, uh, it won't happen. So there you go. That's my answer. Craig, uh, the, we wait to see the
2: the final England squad uh, later, later today, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. interesting to see in the in the mail, you have had um, yourself and a few of the other columnists picking your your selected starting 11 for ahead of the World Cup so you've gone with four two three one Pickford and then the back four of Trippier, Cody, Stones, Shaw Rice mm. and Bellingham in front and uh, then you've Foden, Madison, Grealish and Kane so I suppose what, what jumps out there is I mean some people go for, for Dyer some people go for Maguire some people go for mm. Gomez alongside Stones you've gone for Connor Cody and you also have James Madison in the team as well
1: Yeah so I think there's three players in there who won't be in Gareth's team I, I think Gareth's starting 11 is uh is probably quite predictable now the three who from my 11 who won't be in Gareth's 11 will be Conor Cody at the back that'll probably likely be Harry Maguire or uh, Eric Dier Jack Grealish won't probably start wide, wide left that'll be Raheem Sterling and James Madison won't start in that in that role behind the forward I think it'll probably be Mason Mount or Kaio Saka who comes into, in, in, into that position or you know mix a match across the front three uh, I went for Grealish because I just think he's a different player in an England shirt and I think Gareth should take the handbrake off uh and really try to attack this world cup and play on england's strengths now once over you looked at the england team and thought you understand why he was building from the back and you know made their strength that that, that solid defensive unit i don't think it is anymore i think you might as well go there and attack and make the most of the likes of phil frode and harry kane you know you, you, you're better in your best players jude bellingham pushing on supporting that uh, i went for greelish I think, I think he's a different player in an england shirt I went for James Madison, who it looks like might not even go to the World Cup, never mind start. I went for him because I just think he is he, one of the most informed players in the, the Premier League right now. And I went for Cody at the back, to be honest with you, because I couldn't think of anything else. It wasn't that I particularly think Connor Cody's having a, an excellent season. But when you're asked to do these little things for the, for the paper and I had to pick England 11, you suddenly realise how short and how stretched they are at the back and how you're probably going to have to put in at least two of the four, three of the four, Kieran Trippier apart. Who isn't enjoying a good time at club level at the moment in the back four? That is why I, and you know, to take the the question on and the subject on. I don't think England will go far in this World Cup. I think they'll probably negotiate the group with a, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of discomfort. And then the first good team to come up against be that the last sixteen or the quarter final, I think they'll they'll probably go out.
0: Okay. Interesting. Very interesting to see who makes the, the grade today in the squad. Craig, always great to talk to you. Happy birthday, sir. Thanks a million for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> you too, guys. Take care, bye bye. O T B A M. With Gillette, in association with Movember, effortless shave, magnificent modes.